It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now, here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in here to Talent Talk. And it is Tuesday, and I'm really excited about today's show. Uh, not only do I have uh, my new buddy, uh, Dov Barron, on with us uh, today, I also have uh, Milton in uh, Green in, in, in live in studio, came up from the San Diego area. So we're going to have a really good show for you here today. Um, and this show is really about talking to people who are talented, who have really unique perspectives on talent and how we can help our people, uh, whether it's our managers manage better or our people be more inspired and engaged. Um, and we've had so many wonderful stories over the last five years of doing this show that I threw them all in the book and talked to kind of give the overarching idea of what happened with my company and all the changes that we had to go through uh, to become a great company. And uh, the book's called The Power of Company Culture. So I'd love to have you check that out wherever you get your books. And it's in all, all the different formats. You can get it on a have it in your hand. You can have it on your Kindle or you can have an audio. So I'd uh, love to have you check that out and let us know what you think. Uh, Talent Talk is live every Tuesday, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, but most of you actually show up a little late, and that's okay. You come uh, as a podcast, you show up on iTunes, you show up on iHeartRadio, and we love to have your engagement and everyone there downloading shows and and sharing. Uh, It's been a big part of helping us get the word out and allowing these conversations to get to more people, and that's really what we want to do is to ensure that people who are struggling, managers and, and, and leaders who are struggling with you know, what's the next idea? What's the next thing I should be thinking about getting this conversation out to them? So please help us do that. Uh, and a big thank you to everyone who's doing that and visiting talenttalkradio.com. Um, the last thing we're trying to do to really help um, you know, get these great ideas and these these sort of concepts out is to make sure we keep the conversation going on Twitter. So uh, if you follow us there, at PeopleG2, my producer, Mike, he uh, adds that little hashtag talent talk, but he throws out the best of the best little kind of one-liners as the conversation is going here today. You're welcome to you know retweet those or make comments and let us know what you think. Uh, we've even had some great guest suggestions uh, there, so that's a great place to do that. But let me get to my guests who I've already started to talk about, but my uh, first guest will be uh, Dov Barron. He's a consultant that works with Fortune 500 companies. He's uh, author of uh, Purpose Miss, uh, Missing Piece. And he's also got a great podcast, which I was a guest on. I'm sure we'll talk about that in a moment. And then we'll bring in, after the commercial break, Milton Green. He's the Human Resources Director for Charter Communications. Uh, and we'll get to him in just a moment. But, uh, Dov, welcome to the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here, mate. I'm uh, happy and excited to be here with you and to share with the audience and hopefully add a ton of value. Yeah, and so now it's my turn to interview you. You just uh, recently interviewed me, and 
threw that out over the yes. Memorial Day weekend. We saw that the show was up live, so hopefully uh, people can get a double dose here, I guess, of us. So, um, but why don't you tell everyone about yourself? You know, introduce yourself to my audience. Let us know, you know, what's important uh, for our conversation today about the work that you do, uh, and what you know what we should know more about you. Thank you. Appreciate that, Chris. Um, well, as you said, my name is Dov Barron. I'm the founder of Full Monty Leadership, fullmontyleadership.com. I speak internationally. I uh, was rated by Inc. Magazine as one of the top 100 leadership speakers um, and a bunch of other really nice accolades that I'm very grateful and honored to receive. The bottom line is that my work is about helping leaders find their purpose and helping companies become purpose-driven organizations, building purpose-driven cultures so that they can actually be of great service in the world. So why does purpose matter? Let's kind of start there. That's where you've you've, you've put your stake in in the ground, right? Why does that matter? (laughs) It's a great question. Um, I think that in truth, that purpose has always mattered, but that why it matters so much now is what we know is if you look at millennial talent, and let's face it, you know, in the war on talent, uh, <laughs> talent won. So they have the upper hand. They have the power. And this is this is a good thing. I think it's actually a great thing because one of the things that millennials will say consistently is they want meaningful work. Well, what does that mean? It means they want to be involved with a company who is doing something more than what they're doing. They're a part of something bigger. They want to make a difference. And that is what purpose is. So, uh, you know, there's a a lot of people talking about purpose, and I think sometimes we get a little bit confused about purpose and maybe mission or even passion. So can you talk about Mm -hmm. how are those things different? You know, how does purpose sort of different from mission or even passion? Thank you for asking, because there, there is a significant difference. So... You know, we all wrote our mission statements back in the 90s. <laughs> and even in the early 2000s, we all uh, were trying to find our passion. And mission is great. And if you go into any large company, you'll see a mission statement plastered on the wall. And you can simply ask the person sitting at that front desk, what is the mission statement of your company? And there's a good chance, even though it's right behind their head, they don't know. Right. The, the CEO doesn't really know. Maybe the CEO might know, but not many other people. So mission statements are statements that are uh, contrived very often to somehow summarize what we're about. And that's really what they are. They're, they're the what. And then there's the passion. And people look at, well, you know, this, this must be my purpose. It, my, this is my passion. But what I want to put to you is for each of us to consider this for a moment. I just want you to go back in time and think about what you were passionate about in your 20s, maybe your 30s. Now, let me ask you this simple question. Are you still passionate about the same things? There's a pretty good chance that you're not. Now, why is that? Because passion is transitory. Passion is the vehicle that transports purpose. Purpose is what travels in it. So as an example... If the, let's say we're suddenly ruled by some grand authoritarian uh, government who say, speaking is now banned. Oh, you can't speak. Okay, well, I guess I'll do my podcast. No, that's banned. Okay, I guess I'll write. No, that's banned. And they take away every outlet I possibly got that I'm actually passionate about delivering in. And they say, no, you can't do that. You actually have to go work at McDonald's and flip burgers. What am I going to do when I get there? The answer is exactly what I do now. 
it's not the best outlet for it. It's not the best vehicle for it. But it is my purpose, and my purpose does not go away. It deepens, it evolves, but it does not erode. It does not go away. Passion is transitory. Purpose is not. Mission is mental. It's structured. It's designed, but it's not got the emotional evocation. Purpose emotionally evokes in its people. So that's what we want to do in a company. We want to evoke the emotion of the people around us. So unless someone's listening to this and let's say that they're, you know, fist pumping in the air right now and they're, they're saying, yes, I, 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 I'm with Dov, I want to do this. One of the hardest things to do then is, is to start, right, is to figure that out. Yep. Is, you know, where, where, what is really my purpose, you know? Mm-hmm. So maybe we could talk about how did you come to discover what your purpose was? Maybe that will help other people, you know, kind of down that line to think about their own. That's a great question. So if you'd have asked me uh, on June 19th, 1990, was I living a purposeful life? I would have said yes. On June 20th, 1990, I was free climbing at about 120 feet, which because I was an adrenaline junkie, and fell 12 stories on solid rock and got smashed to pieces. Wow. And uh, I can tell you the gory details of that. There's no need for me to do that. But what I can tell you was that the recovery was long and it was brutally hard. And in the process of it, I fell into a very deep, dark depression. And in the process of that, realized that I, you know, I kept telling people I was coming back, but there is no back. That's not how life works. And I had to go forward. And what that meant was I had to find my purpose. And that was the beginning of digging into that work. Now, here's what's interesting about it is when I tell people the story of the fall, they'll always say, well, that must have changed your life. And the answer is it didn't. You see, we get these diagnoses of, you know, you've had a heart attack, you're in the hospital, your wife leaves you, you're diagnosed with cancer, something terrible happens, and we think that that changes people's lives, but it doesn't. What it does is we say it will change our lives, but what it actually does is it embeds us in our ego. It keeps us stuck where we are. We go, okay, I've got to get back to where I was. And what happens is that that is what I call a pivotal moment. But where the change takes place is actually in the choice point, which is in the future of that moment. And the future of that moment is when everything can go back to normal and you go, no, it has to change. And it's in that moment that you really look for your purpose. Why am I actually here? If I'm not going back to do what I did before, if I'm not going back to doing it in the way that I did before, then I have to look at why am I doing this? Now, your purpose is not simply this idea of why. It's a deeply emotional connection you have to making a shift in the world. It's something that you have to serve in the world. And that's where you begin to look. What is it that upsets me? What, see, we think it's about passion. We think our final purpose is about the things that make us joyous. No, no. Your passion is found in your joy. Your purpose is found in your pain. It's by looking into what Joseph Campbell said, look into the dark cave. And there you will find the treasure you've been looking for. And that treasure is your purpose. Well, it's a, certainly a powerful story. And I think for a lot of people, they want to maybe ignore the emotional component uh, that you mm-hmm. described, right? They want to be, yep. you know, as they might, someone might term as being rational, right? They want to come up with some, write it down on a piece of paper and very rationally choose what their purpose is going to be. 
um, mm-hmm. and a- ignore all of the emotional components, right? Which what might make you excited to get up in the morning, that might make you want to go and do work, or whatever that connection is. Um, Absolutely. You know, and, and so do, 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 you, do you find a lot of that, where people are sort of ignoring that emotional component? Well, I think that that was, you know, I've been doing this work for over 30 years, and that was certainly something I banged up against all the time. We bang up against it much, much less now. And even when we do, five minutes into the meeting, people are like, oh, I get it. I was recently working with a health technology company, and um, <laughs> the, chief, the chief medical officer said, I don't have time for this woo stuff, this California crap. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> and I was like, okay. And um, now he is, I think, my greatest advocate for the work that we do. He's constantly at conferences telling everybody about the work we do because he gets it. He gets that. You see, when you get connected to this, it doesn't just transform your business. It doesn't just transform your culture. It transforms your life. It transforms the way you are with everybody. And this is the thing. You see, part of the lie is if you're my age or around my age, uh, which is blah, 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 blah. Uh, if you're around that age, you probably grew up with the idea that your your emotions were to be kept separate, that your personal life and your professional life were separate things. And here's the thing we need to know and understand is there is no separation. Unless you are some kind of schizophrenic, that's not a fact. You are the same person. And being emotionally connected to why you get up in the morning, what drives you in your life, is what determines the joy in your life. So don't you want to go to work and be joyous? When we go to work, why do we think it's okay to speak to people in a way that you wouldn't speak to your husband, your wife, your children, your friends? Why would you do that? Because you think it's okay because it's a professional environment? No, no. Get connected to your emotional self. Now, please understand understanding your emotions is not the same as being an emotional lunatic this is not about emotionally vomiting over people right this is about being real telling your truth and being deeply connected to your purpose that's vastly different than just being an emotional volcano right and and so you mentioned one of your clients i'm sort of curious do you you spend more of your time working with individuals or is it more on on a company basis or a little bit of both it's actually both. So um, in that particular case, uh, that so that came out of a CEO that I work privately with. I work with a handful of uh, private clients who are usually entrepreneurs, athletes, um, entertainers, high-level individuals, high-level uh, uh, entrepreneurs, those kinds of people. And very often they will bring me into their company. So we start off uh, sometimes with the individual and sometimes with the company. So in the case I just talked about, we were working with the company we were brought in to help this company, who was a health technology company, to design and, and elicit their purpose. And in the process of that, the, uh, all of the executives were um, committed to finding their own purpose. And through that, we went on to work with each of the executives privately, although we were working with the company as well. So what are they typically typically looking for when they bring you in? Do, are they looking for, for, for that kind of connection with their purpose? Or are they just sort of walking in saying, well, things aren't right. We're not sure what to do. Help us. Um, it can be both, to be honest with you. So sometimes um, it's like, okay, we, 
we know we we don't have our purpose and we're kind of getting that that's important uh we did the research on millennials we want to hire a top talent we know we have to have more meaning but sometimes it's uh more problem solving in the context of how come we're losing our top talent how come we can't keep people you know we're spending and this is true uh companies are spending 1.5 to two times the annual salary of an individual to hire them that's a high cost and if they're not staying with you longer than that then there's no roi so they they want to bring us in for that but what they really want is to have their people unify around what it is that they're doing and how they're doing it and what this does is it's very powerful in unifying people it brings them tight brings them close and it creates enormous loyalty so the average millennial changes jobs about every 1.5 to 2 years. Well, you know, when I started in the workforce, I was asked what do you want to do? That was a 20 to 40 year question. Millennials, it's a 4 year question. A career, not a job, a career is 4 years. So you've got to be able to keep people for an entire career in order to double your ROI on on hiring them. So they get that purpose will transform that. So purpose has massive financial implications to the bottom line and the soft skills are the new hard bottom line so the, are those some of the results that you're able to to achieve is help them maybe deal with a particular issue or is it maybe getting more focused in on who they are as an organization and as a person and then letting them take that new power to go and solve their problems themselves no uh we, we do it both ways. So we we will work with them, uh, as I said, as a company to help find them purpose, with the individuals to find the purpose. And then we start helping them to design a corporate culture around that. So we'll build an entire culture around that by building the maxims or what other people think of as values. It's actually not. It's deeper than that. But the maxims that go to support that and that we build a culture out of that. And yes, it does indeed solve a lot of the problems. But here's the thing. This is not not just my uh, work. If we look back, we find that in the research in the S&P 500, that the average company over a 15-year period was doing about 116% profit, 116% growth rather, which is pretty great, pretty good. However, purpose-driven organizations are doing 1,861% growth. That's significantly different based on purpose. That's radically different. <laughs> yeah. Certainly a lot better. Yeah. So there's a real hard bottom line to purpose. So when people say, oh, you know, I don't know about bringing you in. We don't know if we want to spend that. I'm like, okay. Would you rather have 116 or would you have 1,861% growth? It's your choice. Right. <laughs> right. Well, I know uh, you also, with uh, beyond working with uh, companies, you do some keynotes as well. And one of them that kind of caught our eye because... Uh, something that uh, I think you and I speak a little, maybe maybe has some crossover here is the title is How Leaders Can Thrive in the Age of AI. So I'm curious, I mean, obviously you're not going to give us the whole uh, presentation here in the next couple minutes, but, you know, what, what are you sort of seeing out there right now as it relates to leadership and this sort of ever-changing, uh, you know, bit, bit of technology that's, you know, will AI be as, as sort of groundbreaking as when we all started carrying a phone around, right, which had everything we needed on it. Um, what, what are you sort of seeing with leadership and AI? That's uh, a great question. So AI is, you know, there's no doubt about it that it's coming and we can't avoid it. And, and it's powerful. And what we know is that about 40% 
of today's jobs that exist are going to be gone by 2040 and they'll be replaced by AI. That is pretty scary for a lot of people. However, what, what AI can do is AI can optimize, but AI cannot create. AI cannot create. So if you want to really make yourself indispensable in the age to come, if you want to thrive as a leader, you have to be creative. AI does not have compassion. AI does not have empathy. So the creative, empathetic, compassionate leader will always do well, even in the age of AI. And in fact, will actually educate AI. So that's part of why we are going to thrive in the age of AI as great leaders who are purpose-driven and connected to themselves emotionally. And that means deep levels of self-knowledge. The great leaders of tomorrow will be the ones who are committed to understanding themselves at a much deeper level. Well, and that's super important. And I think if you take that and along with what you talked about with purpose, uh, certainly uh, someone listening to this may, you know, have some kind of alarm bells going on in their head that they need to be thinking about some new things tonight. Uh, is there anything else, you know, as you're out there as a speaker and a consultant and you're working uh, with people, is there something else that maybe you typically see that other consultants and strategists seem to miss uh, that to you maybe is kind of vitally obvious uh, about being a great leader in today's marketplace? Yeah, uh, one of the things that I see that so many miss is that is the need to connect to the emotional pieces, what we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, people are, uh, many consultants are trying to come up with the next strategy to, to succeed in business. But the next strategy is an internal strategy, not an external strategy. The deeper we go within ourselves, the more powerful we are as leaders and the better we are as leaders. So it is a journey of self-discovery. The great leaders of tomorrow really have a deep level of emotional intelligence, and that is oftentimes what is really missed. Well, Dave, you seem like you're right on top of it. You have a great uh, perspective on all this, and I'm, I'm sure that probably also comes from staying on top of what other leaders are thinking about, other thought leaders in our industry. So I'm wondering if there's a book that maybe uh, you're reading right now or one that you typically suggest people check out. Well, it may sound conceited, but I would definitely recommend my book, <laughs> <laughs> which is called Fiercely Loyal. Fiercely Loyal, How High-Performing Companies Develop and Retain Top Talent. And it's, it's written all around this, finding your purpose and, and actually being able to keep millennials. You could also find my book called One Red Thread, which helps you to find your purpose. Both of those books will be extraordinarily valuable to you. There are many great books, and I certainly would recommend that you grab as many as you possibly can. But these are going to really help you to get grips of what it is that we're speaking about here today. Well, final question. How can people get a hold of you if they're interested in finding out more about you as a speaker, as a consultant? Uh, maybe they want to read your blogs. What, what's the best way for them to find out more about you? Thank you for asking, Chris. You can find out more about me by going to fullmontyleadership.com forward slash consulting or speaker, as you prefer, consulting or speaking. But fullmontyleadership.com, you find out about my blogs. There's over 600 articles in there about my podcast, which is the number one podcast in the world, which Chris, of course, was recently a guest on. And you can find out about bringing me in in any way, shape, or form. There's a ton of resources there for you. And I hope that you will go there and uh, tap into all those resources. It's been a pleasure and an honor being here, Chris. I want to thank you for inviting me to serve your audience. Well, Doug, thank you so much for sharing some really great insights into leadership and really getting us focused today on purpose. I know our listeners will certainly uh, have taken something away that they can use in their careers and, and, and even at home. So 
Uh, hopefully we'll have you come back at some point and give us an update on all the cool stuff that you're doing. Thank you, sir. All right, we'll be right back after this quick commercial break, and I'll bring in my second guest who's in studio, Milton Green. Imagine buying a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old. There isn't much that stays the same for six months, and the same thing goes for background checks. In a time when so much outdated information is being passed around, it's good to know that People G2 offers something different. At People G2, we provide today's intelligence, not yesterday's news. Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly to our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. When you use the Premier Rewards Gold Card from American Express, the rewards points can keep on multiplying. Buy three with triple points on airfare. Buy two with double points on gas and groceries. And a single point for pretty much every other dollar you spend on the card. Then, start choosing from over a million rewards to redeem all those points. Apply today and the annual fee for the first year is on us. Call 1-800-AXP-GOLD or visit AXPGOLD.com. The annual fee for the card is $175. See terms, conditions, and restrictions at AXPGOLD.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Dov Barron, who will have him at his show and uh, my second guest uh, interview as well up on uh, iTunes or you can listen to iHeartRadio here in the next week or two. Uh, love to have you go there now and subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts, or stick, uh, Stitcher or uh, wherever you go, just go ahead and uh, find Talent Talk and uh, subscribe, and they'll make sure you'll catch the show. So, um, my second guest, uh, Milton Green, is the Human Resources Director for Charter Communications, and he'll, I think we'll learn more about that company here in a moment. Uh, as a reminder, you can go to Twitter and keep the conversation going at PeopleG2. Use that hashtag Talent Talk. Mike's already got uh, my producer. Mike's already got quite a few good little uh, bits there from uh, Dov that already lined up. So we'd love to have you be a part of the conversation there. But uh, let's go ahead and get Milton into the show. Uh, Milton, welcome. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. It looks like, um, you know, you have a pretty interesting background. And so maybe we should just start with what should we know about you and what are you doing over at Charter Communications? Okay. Well, um, I've been in HR for over 25 years. Uh, Prior to being in HR, I I was a paralegal doing antitrust litigation, um, managing searches uh, for a major oil company, and uh, moved into corporate matters as the antitrust litigation moved away. Uh, From that, I got the bug for doing HR. Uh, After doing some work for a couple of the litigators, I really got into HR, and so I was looking for an opportunity and found one with a small business, and uh, Mm -hmm. that's been my career ever since. I've been involved in so many different things over the years as an HR person that uh, I feel like I've uh, pretty much run the gamut of of most opportunities within the HR realm, from recruiting to uh, employee engagement to employee uh, relations Mm -hmm. uh, and to even developing programs for the uh, company to make business. Right. 
And and so what does your role specifically deal with now over at Charter? At Charter, I'm the HR director for the San Diego location where I'm responsible for the recruiting team as well as the employee relations, uh, doing corporate matters, some leadership development uh, within the center. Um, my team is hiring the classes that come in every two weeks and uh, start to help you uh, figure out what's wrong with your cable or, or your internet <laughs> when it's going down. Right, right. So one of the things I like to ask people who, who kind of have this uh, affinity for, for HR that, that seem to really understand it and, mm-hmm. and, and, and live it is, does HR exist to serve the needs of the business or the employees? You know, it, it, at the end of the day, it really serves the needs of the business. But, but in, in both cases, you have to kind of figure out who's really working in the right direction for the business. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've all heard the story of the rainmaker who everybody knows is good old Joe. Uh, oh, Joe doesn't mean that. Um, because he's making the company money, he's, uh, he's a good person that we don't want to mess with. We don't, we don't want to fool around with that mojo that he's got. Right. Um, but in, you know, in the end of the day, you end up getting uh, into a lawsuit or something like that because of Joe's uh, inability to keep his control what he says out of his <laughs> mouth. Uh, so you got to look at it from that perspective. And then sometimes when I say the business, the leadership of the business, sometimes they are right and sometimes the employee is right. But my job as an HR professional is to make sure I protect that entity, whether mm-hmm. that's taking the side of whomever I feel is the right one and making sure that we do the right thing. And it's interesting you bring up that kind of that lone wolf special person thing. I yes. I can't tell you how many examples just in the last few years of businesses I know that have gotten into lawsuits and into trouble, and they were trying to keep this special person who had unique knowledge about something or was a rainmaker for you know particular accounts and whatever it was and it's like you know sexual harassment cases trademark yeah. cases copyright cases confidentiality case I mean just all this stuff that you just and then when they started digging deeper they found out that um, that person was causing people to leave, not to, to not come and join the team because of them. They didn't realize how far that negativity sort of stretched, right? Right. And, and so we, maybe since we started here, what should companies do in that? I mean, what, how do you tackle an issue like that? Well, you know, I think companies, a lot of companies now have adopted core values and they use them and say, this is what we do. Do you walk your talk? I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. really the question that you got to ask. I mean, do you walk your talk? Do these things really mean anything? Are these just nice little things you've got on a poster somewhere uh, for people to think about every now and then? Right. Um, I had the opportunity a couple of years ago to go to Zappos University and, and watch how they were working with their culture with with this self-organization, self-leadership, uh, holacracy. I think is the the mm-hmm. concept. I didn't really get into the holacracy whole thing of self-management. I mean, I think that there's, I'm still a little bit old school because I'm old, uh, (laughs) but uh, I believe that there are a lot of um, different ways to manage it. And what companies need to do is they need to really be able to walk the talk. They need to be able to hire, fire, promote, uh, and go to market with their core values because their core values really need to mean something. And as I was told by a, a partner, we had an issue uh, when I was with the management consulting government contractor, and there was an issue with one of the rainmakers. This guy had done something in, inappropriate, uh, and the leaders were you know, wringing their hands trying to figure out what to do. And this partner said, you know, if we're not going to live by our core values, what good are they? And all of a sudden, everybody got into line and started to realize that this is, this is really where we need to let the rubber meet the road. We need to be living and breathing our core values or else 
we're just giving lip service to a bunch of words on paper. Right, right. You know, and there, there's so many different approaches, and I often have said, it's do you have a strong approach implemented, and are you following it and living it, breathing it to your, are you walking the talk, you know, or talking the, whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> are you walking the walk and talking the talk, right? And so, I think at least for me, at that level, if you're doing that, even if we could argue about, is this system or that system better mm-hmm. or worse, but it's, are you doing something consistently, Right. right, and so I'm not a big fan of the the the, the Zappa where they've sort of migrated to. I think right. there's some real problems there, um, or maybe we're not ready for that yet. We haven't evolved, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you know, they but they have a thing, and it works for them, mm-hmm. and 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 that's sort of the difference. So, do do you think companies really need? Do you agree? Do they need to have something that that are really have figured out and they're going to stick with? And does that change? As maybe the sort of the tides of unemployment, because you and I were talking about mm-hmm. right now there being so little unemployment that it's difficult. You know, so do, the, do things kind of change based on employment numbers, or does it change based on on the values of the executive team? Or you know, w- when does that kind of kind of change? I think both of those things are very valid reasons for things to change. Um, for me, I'm one of the things, and I've, and I've had some great mentors over the years. Um, you know, and I, I'd work with a, a Dr. Jeff Kessler at the company called Kessler Exchange. He was the guy who worked for P&G and got Pampers on the market mm-hmm. before the competition was. But I've always believed you've got to do the same thing whether the market's up or the market is down. Now, when it's an employer's market, I think you've got to spend some time in experimenting and looking at different opportunities and options and things that you can do for when that market turns around. Because the business cycle is generally seven years. Things are going to change in seven years, and so you're going to have to make that move, and you're going to start being in that situation where the unemployment's low, you're not able to get the top talent. So some of those creative things you thought about when the market was good for you as an employer, you need to start bringing into play and looking at how those things are going to um, obviously propel you. You know that old saying, um, doing if you're doing the same thing the same way and expecting different results is the definition of insanity. Right. So you don't <laughs> want to be insane. So you want to make sure that you look at some different ways of doing things and experiment with them when you're not at risk, you know, look at those right. things when you're when you're not. Uh, I, I need to get you know 18 people in here by right. next week. Uh, do it when you can take your time. We can be a little bit more leisurely about it. Right. It's not a good idea to learn how to swim when you fall off the boat. Exactly. You need to have prepared, right? <laughs> exactly. And most companies don't do that. Most companies will do the opposite. Most companies, when when the market turns down, they'll start pulling back their recruiting. They'll start pulling back their marketing. And I don't believe that's the right way. I think you need to keep your name out there because the market will turn around. Mm-hmm. They need to know who you are. And if they've seen you and felt you all the time through this bad turn, they'll remember you when things go, go better. Yeah, it's amazing how that uh, concept of consistency is such a huge right. part of marketing. Uh, and if you're spotty or you pull it back and then people, yeah, you can't just magically show up and regain all of that trust uh, for them seeing your, seeing your company, seeing your logo, seeing your job openings, right, right over and over. Well, we, we talked about AI a little bit in the first part of this uh, of the show today, um, and so I'm kind of wondering though if we turn this a little bit into more data analytics, where mm-hmm. are you seeing that playing a role in you know, today's HR department? Uh, it's it's extremely important, and and I think if you're going to be a strategic strategic HR person, you need to get into data analytics. You need to start looking at the numbers and start talking to the business in their own language. Um, the business uses data analytics numbers. They look at 
you know, ROI and, and mm -hmm. P&Ls and all those numbers. Well, HR has got to do the same thing to be a strategic partner for the business. Uh, number one, you got to know what the business does. I mean, I was disappointed some years ago. Uh, I joined a company and one of my direct reports who had been there two years and I asked her a question about, you know, what does this mean? You know, what does this, this thing mean? Because I was new to the industry myself. And she said, I don't know. I don't really get into the business stuff. Wrong answer. <laughs> a very wrong answer. You need to know the business. How are you going to help them consult with your business if you don't know what they do? Right. If you don't understand all the ins and outs and what the acronyms mean, uh, even down to that level. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, understanding what the data analytics tell you uh, is going to help you as an HR professional to really kind of get ahead of some of the issues or even discover that there are issues that you don't have. And, uh, and those things have got to be coupled with a couple of things. Obviously, there's anecdotal information you can get from just walking the floor, which I suggest for any leader. You've got to walk the floor. You've got to understand what makes your people tick. And then you've got your exit interview information. Now, compile all those three together. I think you get a pretty good idea of what your staff is, what's going on, what's the morale of the uh, company, and it really gives you some clues as to what types of people programs you want you should be developing uh, for that staff that you have on board now. And so, do you find? I mean, in that equation, how much weight do you give exit interviews? Because that's always been sort of an area of if controversial is the right word, but you know, if you're if you're sort of gauging those people who are leaving, right? Mm -hmm. That's a particular group of people. Uh, you might expect them to be unhappy, or you might expect them to be more critical as they're on their way out the door. It might to say different things than maybe people who are s happy or sitting in their jobs and, and, and will be there again and again year after year. Mm -hmm. So what kind of weight do you put into X interviews and looking at that equation? I put a lot of weight into those. I mean, if you can get people to be honest with you and, and be candid about what it is, what reason, why they're leaving and what they're leaving for, I mean, in some cases, there's nothing you could do. I mean, there's, right. you know, they, they've got a an offer made in heaven that no one's ever going to beat so uh, that and it's a good opportunity and it's, a, and it's an opportunity that they may not be able to get with you um, but there are going to be some disgruntled people who walk out the door and I think you got to listen to those folks too and make sure mm -hmm. that you understand what's being said now you don't use that as your full gauge obviously you can do employee engagement surveys to see what those things say as well as you can do pulse surveys and just the, really the anecdotal information that you get from walking the floor um, I make it a point of walking the floor and and I, believe me, in my career, I have found out so many things because they don't see HR or me as an HR person as the police. They see me as, oh, he's, he's the guy that comes around and speaks to everybody and asks how people's families are doing. Uh, and they, they tell you things. They tell you what's going on. They'll get you, alert you to some, some problems that are happening on the floor. And that's really where I think you get a lot of it. But those three things together, you've got to see... Is one different than the other, or, or, or are there some similarities? Are we always going in the same direction with all three of these ways of looking at things? So I think that putting those things together is very important, and I've always felt that exit interview information is, is extremely important, too. And, and does this all kind of go into testing or you know, evaluating how uh, maybe the, the employees and the leadership are really uh, accessing core values, right? And, mm -hmm. and, and and where do you it, does that does core values play, you know, a really big part in, in our overall culture and and, and and success? Or you know, is it like a baseline, and then you have to build a lot of other things on top? I think it's a baseline in a lot of ways, but at the same time, it really needs to be the thread that holds you together as an organization. Mm -hmm. You know, we need to all believe in these core values, and it's hopefully 
going to weed out those people who don't and attract people who do uh, believe in those things and are really to and willing to go along with a company that sets those values as something that is extremely important and that they will go to market for those things. So it needs to be a baseline. It needs to be at least the, the, the minimum requirement, I think, for an organization if you have them. And if you have them, you got to walk the talk. you got to use them. Don't put them out there as... You know, just something nice to say on a nice little plaque that you can stick on the wall and forget about. Right. Now, do you see this sort of evolving in the future? I mean, you said you weren't uh, that big of a fan yet of of the Zappos model, but do do you see some other opportunities for culture and values and and how we work with our people to sort of evolve in, in our lifetime? I do, if companies are really willing to stick with them. What I've noticed, uh, and, and this is just a couple of instances, but I've noticed a couple of instances where I've seen core values that have absolutely nothing to do with people. And they right. have all to do with business. <laughs> it's like, okay. Our core value is profit. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who do you think is going to carry out all these grandiose mm-hmm. schemes that you want to do to, to make more, more money for your organization? It's people. And, and you got to focus on people. I mean, management consulting companies tend to have a, a, a leg up because they know that they sell people's time and expertise and that is their only product they don't have widgets they don't have vacuum cleaners they don't have anything it's people's time as an expertise that they're selling so they understand that people are their most important asset and i think with any organization if you don't believe people are your most important asset i think you're missing the boat and you probably have high turnover and, and disgruntled employees all over the place right right well, there's a lot of things, uh, certainly about your job, that is rewarding, I'm sure, that you enjoy. Uh, even if they're challenges, are probably things you enjoy being able to, to, mm-hmm. to tackle and to do. Uh, but, you know, we always like to kind of look at maybe the opposite, too, right? Mm-hmm. right. And, and so I'm wondering, is there something inside of this, uh, you know, world of HR that maybe you don't, you don't like? That's kind of your least favorite thing to deal with. Uh, it's always been terminating people. Okay. I mean, yeah. you change people's lives forever. My first HR job, my first day, my first hour, I had to terminate someone who I had been friendly with. And, and the reason I was put into HR was doing research. i just come from being a paralegal. I was doing research. The HR manager left. And the owner said, hey, you've been a paralegal. Why don't you be the HR manager? And I jumped at the opportunity. But the first day, first hour, I had to let somebody go. Wow. Who, you know, I've been fairly, fr- very friendly with. He was a member of the sales staff, and he just wasn't hitting his numbers. Uh, it was just the uh, strangest thing. So I've never liked that. And, and, and you know, I, I'd rather see the light bulb go off from something, from some counseling or mentoring mm-hmm. that we've done with some employees uh, than to have to send them home. Right, right. And that's, that's always tough. And, you know, if someone maybe in sales makes it a little easier for us, it's a pretty cut and dry. Here was your mm-hmm. number. You didn't make it. You know, right. it's not a surprise to anybody. Uh, but then there's other ones, right? That'll is it just not a good fit? Is it just not working out? It's a little bit, a little bit more difficult sometimes with some of those, right? And, and you got to go maybe term someone because you know, in your heart, it's not they're not in the right fit. They're not in the right job. Right. But you look at the numbers and the things, and you there isn't there isn't the, as good of a story, right? And I, right. I find those to be the most most difficult as well. Right. Well, you know, my philosophy has always been that discipline is meant to uh, improve behavior and, and not meant to get people out the door. And hopefully, you, you know, you're coaching your managers and leaders to to make the right kinds of when they do discipline an employee to make the right kinds of decisions and, and choices that are going to help this person get on track, not just to say, OK, bad, bad kid, you're getting slapped on the wrist. No, let's right. let's, let's improve this. Give this person a plan. Give them some type of 
some type of things that they need to accomplish. Uh, spend some more time with them. Mentor that person. Coach that person. Make sure you can do everything you you did. Because as your last guest was talking about, you know, companies spend a heck of a lot of money hiring and getting people up to speed. And it's quite a while before you get the ROI back out of that person. So think about that when you're coaching a person in that this person has already has not met their ROI for the company. Let's make sure that we can keep them in any way, shape, and form that we can. And sometimes you can't, and so you, you, you have to cut your losses at that point. But at least I like to see that you've tried and you've mm -hmm. spent the time and, and you've been passionate about trying to help that individual get on up to speed. I'm certainly aware of the ta you know, transactional things that HR is tasked right. with, and um, you, you've given us a pretty good head start here with some of the more strategic things that mm -hmm. HR can be doing with the coaching and working with managers. What else should should HR really be focusing on from a strategic level, you know, to be valuable to the organization uh, at that much higher level? Well, obviously, understanding the business, and I think getting involved in the business. Uh, I've had the opportunity in my career at multiple companies to be a part of groups building new business for the organization, uh, trying to make sure that we have the people perspective in there. Uh, I think I, I've been on proposal teams with government contracting, so I understand what they're going after and all the you know, all the different aspects of that proposal that they're throwing out to try to win this procurement. Um, I think those are things where HR has to be involved. I think HR has to be innovative in terms of the thing, the places where they can reach into. Go to business meetings that have nothing to do with HR. Go to other meetings. Learn the business. Make sure you know it just as well as, as your leader does there. And then you can make a meaningful contribution. Talk about business. Talk about the things that uh, you can get in, involved in as an aspect of, of being one of their one of their their employees because we're all going in the same direction hopefully uh for the same thing and hr just needs to make sure they embed themselves a little bit deep more deeply into the business and, and not be not be an us and them type of a situation right right mm -hmm. well i was wondering you know to kind of get your view on how hr reports uh you know should they report up through the business or should they have a kind of a straight line to an hr organization uh, Maybe a dotted line in, in, into the business units, or vice, you know, or vice versa. How, you know, how does HR most effectively help the company from a, you know, from a reporting standpoint? Well, I, I think, and I've been in both, and I think both have their their particular uh, positives and negatives. Mm -hmm. I mean, on the one hand, I think if you're reporting up through the business, it gives you the great time and a great ample opportunity to be involved with what the business does if you're reporting up to a business leader uh, and if you're reporting up through an HR leader you're still kind of separate uh, but at the same time you feel a little bit more sheltered I guess by that uh, being part of that team I've been with both and I think both can work depending upon what it is that uh, what type of company it is and what type of organization uh, and how they review and respect and, and use the HR um, department as as a business partner. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, you and I had the opportunity before the show to, to meet and get to know each other a little bit. And mm -hmm. uh, you, you have really a fascinating, uh, you know, uh, background with the different uh, jobs and things that you've done uh, up to this point and the places you've lived. And I'm wondering, it, it kind of came to mind in my head as we were talking. I thought, I'll save this one for the show. Mm -hmm. And that is, is there a person, you know, is there a leader, is there a mentor that you had uh, that maybe kind of got you where you are today at, from, from a leadership standpoint? Uh, maybe not specifically that you are in HR, but, you know, as a leader, was there someone there that really had a big impact on you? 
Uh, I've definitely been lucky enough to have several of these types of folks in my in my career. Uh, probably one of the first one was the the uh, dean I worked with at Occidental when I was a student there, and uh, he and I eventually he and I eventually had a business together after both of us <laughs> had left Oxy and gone on our separate ways and done different things. Um, but he talked to me a, a lot uh, about being politically aware of, of what's going on, mm-hmm. of understanding uh, the ropes of uh, the different things that were going on, how business fits into this education that you just got or this education that you get, and how do you how do you make sure that you know you, you're getting something valuable out of it? How do you look for transferable things that you can do? Uh, just because you majored in this doesn't mean you can't do this. Um, so he was good, and I think another uh, boss uh, who was uh, extremely good. Uh, I just remember when he hired me, and he said. Uh, you need to get a good exercise plan because uh, you 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 need to you, you're going to need to be uh, running on all cylinders at all time. So I suggest a good exercise plan so that you can you know keep yourself sharp and keep yourself fit and and because we're going to run you, we're going to make you work. We're going to put you <laughs> on a plane every two weeks and you're going to be right. gone. So we we need to do that. So I think in those cases, both of those folks and there've been a lot of people over throughout mm-hmm. the years who've really given me some some great. Uh, mentorship. I mean, I'm still in touch with, with professors from college and things like that, so right. it's been very good uh, and has really helped me to become the kind of HR person that I have become. Yeah, and so a lot of what we become as, as people and as leaders comes from, I think, from our mentors. It comes from you know the experiences and the jobs that we have, but it also comes from the books that we choose to read. Oh, and, yes. And so I'm wondering if there's a book you typically suggest that people check out or one that maybe you are on right now or recently read that you might uh, suggest to the audience. It's a book that I occasionally read, and I, I come back to it every now and then, and it's... Um, and it is... It is um, a book by, oh, I, I'm, I'm missing the name, but one of the books I'm reading right now, I think that's been, been a really good book for me, is uh, The New Leadership Literacies by Bob Johansson. Mm-hmm. He's a member of the Institute for the Future, and he's basically saying that uh, the book is about thriving in a future of extreme disruption and distributed everything. So the book challenges leaders to think about what it is going to be in the future and to start making plans for the future. So he's a futurist. He looks way out, I mean, 20, 30, 40, 50 years out into the future based upon what's going on now. And he's saying that leaders need to have that same type of a vision uh, to kind of pull themselves further out and kind of understand what kind of workforce they're going to need for further on down the line and really start to building that now so that they don't have get there and are already behind behind the eight ball. So that's um, that's one of the books I'm reading right now, and it's a very interesting concept, and it kind of brought me back to that whole holacracy, Zappos. It really reminded me of that that experience of going through Zappos University, right. um, of some of the same things he's talking about building for the future. Well, you think about how different leadership is i mean there are some there's some examples of it being more like it is today uh, let's just go 60 or 70 years back but most of what was mm-hmm. happening 60 or 70 years back is so radically different than what right. we're doing now right just even yep. conversations and talking about culture and things like this right uh, i mean people all showed up in in suits or in out, mm-hmm. you know very formal outfits and went to work i mean it was a much different thing happening you know we've got oh, people yes. in in you know in 
t-shirts and shorts going to work every day doing you know probably more, bigger work and and more important work than a lot of those other people were in full suit everything sort of changed and as you right. think about that massive change how might that change again i mean that's a, it's really fascinating that uh, that uh, author you suggested is already thinking about that uh, you know in 70 years or 50 years whatever it is well, will it change so dramatically again that we won't even that today's leadership will seem you know, just almost unbelievable that it would even existed that way, right? I think it will. I mean, I mean, I think the future is going. You know, as your last guest was already saying, AI is going to replace a lot of jobs. So you got a lot of people who are going to be doing something different, and we've got to start, you know, figuring out what are people going to do for the new economy that's coming up in twenty, thirty years when mm-hmm. those folks get into the prime their prime earning years uh, for their their careers. Uh, it is going to change. I just. I mean, we don't definitely we don't know how, but we we think things are going to be a lot more loose, uh, a lot more. Uh, I guess you, you know, as it is now, we see people don't have to come to the office. People are working from home. There are are different types of being mobile and and being able to do the job from anywhere in the world uh, that you used to have to sit at a desk in a certain city in a certain state mm-hmm. in order to do. So I think that's even going to. Uh, happen quite a bit in the gig economy. They talk about that, you know, a lot more consulting and picking up gigs here and there and doing that. I think that's going to continue uh, to flourish uh, over the next few years, too. Right. Well, uh, if, if people are interested in learning more about you, and I know you have some job openings and customer service and other places as well yes. in the San Diego area, how can they find out more about you and Charter Communications? Uh, they can go to www.charter.com and look at the opportunities and openings. We are hiring in San Diego, so those opportunities are listed there. Uh, I'm putting together a class every two weeks right now uh, in hiring customer service agents. So I have quite a quite a few openings, and we're doing a lot of recruiting to, to kind of keep that going as we, we continue to grow. Me, get in touch with me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm an open networker. If you want to uh, look me up, Milton Ingren, Jr., S-P-H-R, uh, M-N-G-J-R at Cox.net. I'm always up open to mentoring and helping particularly newer, uh, more junior HR people to get their foothold in the door. Because I, I, I do HR a little bit differently having had that legal background first uh, before going into HR. It's usually the other way around. They go from HR to legal. But um, I've had a very different look at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Milton, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have uh, enjoyed uh, getting your perspective on HR and what's going to be happening in the world of work going forward. Well, thank you. Hopefully we have you back at some point and uh, hear about you know the, your, your, your newest adventures. <laughs> well, yes, there will be some new ones coming up. I'm working on some things now. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, everyone, for listening to today's show. Hopefully you gained something you can use in your own career in a positive way. Next week, my two guests will be Regina uh, Romeo, the director of HR at CPS, uh, HR Consulting, and Vinjay Johar, the CEO of, well, I don't know, is that R-Chili? Archily Inc. I'm going to go with that. We'll find out next week if I've murdered that uh, company name. So until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio brought to you by People G2. 